What's going on, guys? AJ here, back again with another episode of the E1B2 podcast. And yes, today we have a guest. We talk all things venture. We talk all things startup. We talk all things business. And of course, we had to talk about culture, employee experience, behavior change, leadership development, etc., etc., etc. We talked about a lot, guys. This particular episode was very nuanced from a from a depth perspective. We even we went very deep into certain buckets of all things venture and startups and you know raising capital and how you know startups and ventures should look at people op- operations and HR and employee experience and all these great things so um, I think you guys will get a, a lot out of this so if you're a founder if you are a, uh, a CEO if you are a VP of people if you're just someone that really enjoys the complexities of business and startup world and and entrepreneurship and people operations and employee experience I know for a fact you will enjoy this episode. So please listen. Thank you to my guest and uh, let's plug in. Yeah, technology is a funny thing. But yeah, we are here already recording. Like I said, it's really laid back. So um, we're just going to hop in. Um, I think um, I think for me, the way I want to start this off is uh, please, you know, give 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 me and everyone else um just a, just a brief background. I kind of uh, like to hop right into the content and right into the good stuff, but uh, I think it is important to let everyone know who they're here, they're listening to. So, give us a brief background: who you are, where you're from, and uh, and uh, what what's interesting to you right now. And then we'll hop into the good stuff. Sounds good. Uh, well, everyone, this is Apoorv Karmakar. I um, right now live in Washington D.C. Um, and again, so like you said, Anthony, just a bit about my background. Um, I work in venture capital, um, but I did not always work in venture capital. So I'm like, a, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer by training, um, uh, from India originally, uh, lived there till I was 28, 28 years. And that's, that's when I came to the U S for school. Um, and then have been here since, um, I think like what I really enjoy in life is I think I really like learning about new things. I think, um, you know, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer by training, but like I have like interests that sort of range from um, reading a little bit about quantum physics to like philosophy and, and everything. So I like to get a taste for everything. Um, and, you know, like, even though like they may not have remotely any use for me in life and, and but I enjoy the process and, and that's something that I really value a lot. Um, in my role at, I, in my role in Minister Capital, uh, where I've, I am currently, and I am transitioning out now, um, just focused. Uh, my work has been mostly about helping the organization grow scale, uh, find new creative ways of backing more like entrepreneurs who do not, uh, you know, just fit the image of like a Silicon Valley startup founder. And so like, you know, a lot of work at Village Capital has been, um, there are like some brilliant, uh, very uh, solution focused innovation that happens outside of the Silicon Valley, New York, uh, Boston areas. And, uh, but somehow like the capital fails to find these innovation. And um, a lot of our work has been to sort of like address those asymmetries, uh, fill those blind spots. And uh, beginning next week, um, full time taking over as uh, managing director at Amplio Ventures. Um, it's a seed stage. We see focusing on um, Integration out better integration outcomes for refugees and uh, millions of other displaced migrants, uh, and our and our approach to to solving for that problem is 
uh, investing in and helping scale like disruptive technologies that uh, make like the workplace a more inclusive. Like, and I can talk about it again, like when we go into it. But again, like the driver for us is investing in technologies that uh, make the future of work a more like inclusive place for everyone, and not just somebody who like you know was privileged to come to school in the US and, and mm-hmm. have like a privileged life. So that's that's about it. And again, like I'm happy to go into like any of those tangents, different tangents that I touched upon. Um, um, yeah. So a couple things. Uh, first question that maybe you won't want to answer. Uh, I hope this doesn't come off insensitive, but I think you maybe will uh, have empathy around this. Um, not that you have any regrets, but how do you feel about your decision coming to America at 28 from where you originally are from? Um, I think uh, I'm always fascinated to hear from people that aren't originally from America just to get their their perspectives, right? Because you were you were a man. You were 28 when you came to America. So it's not as if you were 10 or 12 or 15 or even 18. You were you were well on your way to understanding a little bit about life. So, um, what's your how how do you feel about the decision outside of obviously, I'm assuming some of the potentially more professional you know things you may or may not were able to accomplish here. I'm not sure of the of the differences, but you know, with, with all the things that are going on here in America, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the opinions of other countries and other people of, uh, of, of who we are right now. So, so how, where's your gut lie with that? You know, I, I have absolutely no, like, um, regrets about coming to the U.S. And again, that's uh, less to do with, like, me being uh, indifferent to what's going on in the U.S. or pretty much, like, the rest of the world and more to do with, um Back, like, when I came to the U.S., it was 2015, um, and before, like, you know, some of the more recent, like, um, things that have been going on in the world had started to happen, uh, and I had come to the U.S. to basically um, pursue, like, education in international economics, um, and just to understand the world a little better, I went to uh, the Fletcher School at Tufts University in Boston, just outside of Boston, actually. Um, and again, like that, that experience of two years of grad school here was like everything that I'd hoped it would be. I met some of the wonderful, most wonderful people in the world there. Like they're my friends now. Um, and I think like I came away from it, like with a more sort of like better, I would say like an understanding of the world that we live in. Like, so again, you know, before that I was a lawyer and again, like, you know, doing well, like in my own like little silo, but again, didn't understand much outside of it, right? Like why? to give an example like why forced migration happens so why uh, a mortgage crisis in the u.s is leading to job losses like all over the world like so what's the connection between those things so for me like coming to the u.s was as much about like you know having an opportunity to to get to know the world a little better and i think like again that i've been able to do thankfully uh, and again like my move to u.s wasn't permanent i'm like looking to you know sort of like um, probably leave soon Anyways, and, and, and so again, like what's happening here in the U.S. right now, unfortunately, um, it's mirrored like in a lot of other parts of the world, including where I come from, India. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think like the current affairs has changed uh, or influenced like my own view of like what this experience has been like. Um, I think I've been very like fortunate uh, and I'm very grateful for like having the opportunity to come meet my friends here and, and, you know, thankful for their friendships and everything. 
Well, I'm glad that your experience here thus far has not scarred you too much. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I, I, so another thing that I, I, I remember from our multiple conversations, but you kind of just reminded me, um, I, you know, with, with everything that I'm doing and kind of the, the essence of this podcast, it probably falls right up the alley of some of the companies and some of the focuses that you are now kind of going to be approaching with this, with this, uh, this new venture that you're, that you're uh, embarking on. Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, you know, I think for me, um, coming out of like my grad school program and like entering into impact investing, like, like the larger, like the sector, the, the term that the sector is known by was always because, you know, inherently I felt that like, um, there is a bit of like two pocket, like two pocketism to like, you know, doing good, which is, well, you know, you make money, which is your separate, like, you know, like side of your like investment. And then you basically do some charity on the other side. Uh, but then again, in my experience, I've seen that like uh, investment into good outcomes uh, is a reality. It's a possibility. And it's just that um, maybe people don't know how to do it or maybe like enough people aren't doing it well. So, so that kind of like was what set my foray into impact investing in a like like three and a half years now. And again, yes, I'm not saying that like we don't need to work on it, but I think like that's with Amplio one of the things that we want to focus on is um, to give you. And maybe this is off tangent, so correct. Like you know, feel free to stop me if I'm going too much no, off no, the no, tangent. No. But uh, one of the th- I was talking to one of my um, uh, investors and in, like you know f- for the Amplio fund, and they were like asking about like you know how do I like there's there's a there's a you know you invest and you promise your investors that you're going to basically earn a return for them financially, but you're also trying to basically do this like good like generate this good outcome for a lot of like people in the world, and how do you balance that? And I feel like for for us, like you know, that's where backing technology comes in. I feel like one of the um, one of the privileges of having capital to deploy in form of equity, which like a venture capital firm can do and does by and large, is that you can like really back the zero to one innovation, right? Like so, for example, like somebody has like tremendous lived experience of a specific problem that they're trying to solve. And they have like been able to like you know sort of translate that idea into like a, in, into a prototype. Let's say just like it's not even a product; it's into a prototype of like a product that can be like or a solution that can be scaled, that can be grown. Um, but the challenge is, you know, like the existing uh, financing mechanisms like don't really fit the, that like you know that that stage very well. And so I think equity investing really has an opportunity to support and back those. Um, zero to one ideas mm-hmm. uh, like really game-changing ideas again they're like a whole host of like other things that you know you as investor need to figure out downstream like you know your exit and everything but for now i think like i just like to answer your question i would love to focus just on the possibilities that like you know by backing like solutions that have like the potential to impact like millions and millions of people around the world um and i think that's how i see like my work as well that like talking about digital workplace um, you know, we know from experience that <clears throat> it's harder to like find a job like through an online like recruitment uh, campaign if you come from a certain country or if you're located in a certain country. You can go to like MITs and Stanfords, um, and again, like the, the term for that is patent recognition. You basically fall outside the patent recognition, and I think like there is really an opportunity and a need. I think 
to invest in solutions that beat that pattern recognition, right? Like, so if you are somebody who is a, again, I'm, it's a very small example, but just for like consistency of like examples, uh, you are like a, a very skilled, let's say, coder from Syria who like unfortunately had to migrate and then like seek uh, refuge in like Malawi, let's say, or Jordan somewhere. Um, but you are a very good coder. But it's just that like you don't have any documentation to prove that. Um, should that be a reason that why you should not have a job, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't sound fair, does it? So that's what we are trying to basically do, like invest in solutions that like will allow that person to present their full self in any job application. And then like, again, like recruitment is one segment that we would be looking at. Uh, but the idea there is to match people with their skills, with the competencies required on the job rather than where they went to school, you know, what, you know, what background they come from, whether they have worked in similar projects or not. So, yeah, that's, that's, I think like, that's, I think in a nutshell, what we're trying to do, like by supporting, uh, what I mean by like supporting technology and innovation. And if I can ask, if you can disclose this, no worries. This is a very quick question. And then we'll move, we'll move into the meat of this, uh, this, this conversation. Uh, what type of checks are we talking about here? What, what, what can, what, if someone has an idea, if someone were to listen to this, now over the next 24 months you know um obviously evaluations and all these other things play a factor but uh you know what what size checks are we uh are we are we talking about here that they could expect so we would make anywhere between 250,000 to 500,000 dollars investment okay. um and anthony since you know like we are talking and and um your audience might actually like, you know maybe my next investment is in your audience right now i think for us, like especially, um, um, I think we would love to. We would need to see the idea being translated into like a minimum viable product at least. So because you know, like, what one limitation that I have is like I'm not a technocrat, right? So I still need like the founder to come to me and say that like this was the idea I had in my mind and this is how I've cross translated that into a working solution. Mm-hmm. So I, I again like just you know full disclosure, we would we would need to see like a working solution. Uh, in terms of like, you know, idea to solution formation, I think we might not be the best partners because we are not able to support their, not financially, like financially is a different whole different ball game. But I think a better investor at that stage is somebody who's able to like work with the founder to translate the idea into like a working prototype. Like, you know, like how do you like, this is a great idea in your head. How do you actually package it into a solution that like you can build off on, right? So we would, we would need to see that happen and then like you know at that stage like we can go between like 250 to half a million dollars in investment makes sense makes sense um let's let's go right out let's go right at the top here i have a lot of the topics that you uh sent over and i have a couple thoughts myself as well um let's go right off the top here you know one thing that i've um you know in my in my in my 11 year career of, of of being a part of startups building a couple startups myself um, I've always created things that were profitable from day one. Um, I've always kind of bootstrapped and, and created um, collaboration and partnerships and other things that allow me to scale. Um, I've been honored with the gift of gab to a certain degree and the ability to put together teams very quickly to help me on these projects without paying any money out of pocket. Um, I've just been able to do a lot of interesting things. So the only way I actually know how to build businesses is through uh, profitability, is through um, scaling relationships and partnerships and collaborations. Um, so the, 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 the very vibrant debate of growth versus profitability is a big deal 
in the uh, venture angel investing startup space. What are your macro thoughts? And then let's dive into the micro of where you kind of land within that debate, because uh, I think there's a lot of bad behaviors that uh, a lot of people are uh, experiencing with through that debate. But then I understand the empathetic contextual nature of investors inevitably want to also get out of it what they're looking for. Thus, they need that scale and that growth versus uh, profitability at times, depending on when the moment is. So where do you sit? What are your macro thoughts? And then we'll, and then we'll nose dive in a bit. That's a question of the question of the time, isn't it? Like, and I think I can speak for myself and like people that I have spoken to, um, you know, and they're like, again, there's a whole world of people who would probably absolutely disagree with me and they should. But my view on this is that ultimately, um, you know, as investors or as even like impact investors, let's mm-hmm. say, um, you could give the money away in charity, right? But like the fact that we are investing and that's the word like I'm going to emphasize on is that you're investing in a business, right? And then and so fundamentally, a business has to be able to like generate returns. And what I mean by that then is like, like it has to be profitable at some point. Now... What has been happening recently, in my estimation, is that there's a lot of like investing has become very valuation driven, right? And so valuation in turn has been, well, you know, was supposed to be like, again, free cash flow or like net, like, you know, profitability basis. But again, I think a lot of valuation views now are taken from how quickly and rapidly a company is growing and how big it can grow. So like, you know, how big of a market size it is. Uh, oftentimes disregarding what it is costing to get to that market. And I think like that, that approach would have worked in, in the case that like there is like a clear plan for like how that turn in fortune would happen. Right. So again, what I mean by that, let me unpack that a little bit. Let's say like a company, only way a company is able to basically like capture new customers is that by subsidizing their use, like giving them free, like, you know, extending the free trials, giving them yeah. free, free credits. Now that works. And I'm not like opposed to that. So long as like, there is something inherently like valuable in the product or service being offered <clears throat> that would create like a customer stickiness. Because if the only reason I'm using the product is because you're giving like literally like making it, it's free for me to use perpetually, then I think like it's again like it to me in my mind is it like a really like a business idea is it really a business and is it really an idea that is worth backing um and again there like might be more nuances to it what if it's really like a like a socially like beneficial like you know um outcome and then like obviously the answer changes but assuming that this is a normal business business as we understand um i just don't see a world in which i would be comfortable writing a check in a company that has no idea like has no clear plan on like how it will become profitable it doesn't have to happen six months it doesn't have to happen in one year but like i think like the plan has to be there like this is a clear roadmap how we will become profitable and what i mean by that is when will the company basically get to a stage where they are spending like less on acquiring a customer yes. than what the customer is bringing them in terms of like value that's interesting uh What's the other side of the debate? I think the other side would be that, you know, and practically how it plays out is, 
like I said, it's a very valuation-driven game, right? So if you are early stage, seed stage investors like Amplio is and like Village Capital is, um, you don't generally like invest to stay with the company through to its IPO. And again, like the numbers on like how many companies ultimately are able to IPO, like those are all like numbers. But I think like the plan for you as an early stage investor is that you kind of like foresee uh, an acquisition happening or like a secondary market exit happening down the line. And a lot of those like, you know, acquisitions and basically and or secondary market acquisitions like happen uh, by or are rather driven by like the buzz a company is generating. And the buzz in turn is generated by how rapidly a company is growing, like how many countries, cities they have operations in, what's their total like customer base and like how many customers they have, how much of the market share they have. So what ends up happening is like in these conversations, profitability doesn't come up. Like it doesn't come up as in like, is, how is the company expanding its market? Like does it have like an infinite supply of capital that it can like keep drawing from? I don't think most companies have that, but for an early stage investor, somehow it doesn't matter because, you know, for them to be able to like have that, what is called as a liquidation event, uh, profitability has started to matter less and less. It's more driven by like, again, how big of like a market like share is the company able to corner. And so it seems like a lot of early stage investors are um, kind of therefore open to ignoring like the profitability question um, it's a little different for us um, for the simple reason that um, <clears throat> for us, like investing, yes, like obviously we would love to like generate a return and all of that. But I think like investing in the right solutions is more important for us, right? Like uh, why, like why do this? If you, if you were to ask us this question, because we inherently believe that by investing in and therefore, through the investment supporting these like technology innovations, we can create a lasting change on the world. Now, those solutions won't be creating much change if they are not able to go on a bit of an autopilot or an escape velocity. And what I mean by that is that if they are forever dependent on capital in- infusion in form of either equity or in form of debt, um, I think like, you know, just the the independence of the solution to basically do what it is supposed to do, I think gets compromised a little bit. I, I, I think like with that rapid like pressure of growth at whatever cost does lead to mission drift, like suddenly the company is not building a product for basically its most vulnerable or base of pyramid consumers, but like, you know, the consumers were being more, right? Like, so if for us, like that's not a good outcome because um, success for us is that the solutions that we back do basically solve the problems of its most sort of like vulnerable like customer base and or user base, whichever you might like, you know, might be the case. And if like the company is kind of put to a place where they are like required to deprioritize their use cases and focus more on like, you know, how do we grow scale quickly? Uh, that would not be a good outcome for us as, as impact investors. And so that's like why we feel like, again, profitability to us is like more a signal of, can the solution basically grow scale and sustain itself once, you know, all the investors are out? And, and, and that's very important for us. Let me ask this question. This is probably a very elementary question, but it's something that I've, uh, I've, I've, I've struggled to understand. And, and on the, let me be on the record here by saying uh, I agree with your perspective around um, really investing and wanting to see uh, the product and the tech 
support and help people. And that should be the main focus. And then also I definitely agree with, you know, the more of the profitability. So let me, let me ask this question. I was, uh, I was on a call with, uh, with a founder and they were telling me that they were shutting the business down and considering selling to someone um, to have a small exit because they realized they were not going to be the the marketplace or the industry winner. And I scratched my head and I asked a couple of questions. I said, well, I, I'm not really understanding. Can you walk me through the process? And they talked about numbers and a lot of other things. And then they went into the conversation of kind of what we're talking about. They were like, well, we could make a couple adjustments to start being more profitability focused, but you know that would inevitably, uh, at a macro level, not allow us to get to a certain, you know, uh, you know, a certain, I guess, north star or a certain uh, level, if you will, that we were hoping. Thus, we would much rather start focusing on the next, uh, the next unicorn idea, if you will, rather than uh, running this business. And I said, well. What's the profitability X, Y, Z? I started getting, I was very curious. And I said, inevitably, long story short, where, where it landed is, I'm not understanding why certain founders and leaders of companies are not comfortable making uh, 227, and I'm talking hundreds of thousands, uh, 227,000 in salary with a million in profit. Like, like I'm not understanding why there aren't, aren't certain products and brands and organizations that aren't happy making a few hundred thousand in salary, a million or two in profit at the end of the year. Like why is building a very profitable, good, solid, predictable business model not interesting? Why am I hearing and seeing founders literally sell their brands uh, to other organizations or yeah, to, to other organizations, other you know venture capital, whoever the case is going to be, why are they selling these organizations and moving on to other things because it's not reaching the heights that they thought? Why can't they double down and just be excited about the problem they're solving and be excited about being an entrepreneur? Have you have you heard of anything like that? Are you noticing that? Is that a thing, or is that just this one crazy entrepreneur that I stumbled upon? No, no, this is like a whole thing. Like, there's a term for it. Uh, companies like these are called lifestyle companies. And What's wrong the re- with that? Um, there's nothing wrong. And I think, like, you know, it's it's not even a blame. I think, like, you know, the way just the food chain works. And I think, like, before, like, you know, I'll t- let me start with the investors and that will, like, automatically then you'll see, like, how it lands uh, on, like, why entrepreneurs decide to not build those kinds of companies. The short answer is because it's very hard to raise a fund, like raise funding for uh, a lifestyle business. And I right? get that. Yeah. And and again, like I think beyond that. So again, like you know, what one thing that I so from an investor point of view, yes, like you know, if you look at a lifestyle company and then you say that, all right, like if you are measuring the potential of a company, um, and say that, well, like it it probably will like taper out at like five million dollars in annual revenue, and like it's, it's not going to grow beyond that. So for me, as an equity purchaser in this company, uh, it's going to be very hard to like sort of like upsell uh, that equity let down the line. And so like you as a early stage investor backs out. Now, what I think is interesting is that so if you are a founder, you're like all right, like I had this idea and I can build this product. 
uh, but i'm getting turned down from investors because they will they like you know like this company will not grow on to like doesn't have the potential to become the more clear market leader like i think that's what like everyone looks for like does the company have the potential to mm-hmm. be like the own market leader so that so that kind of like kills a lot of dreams and aspirations right like they're like well i need capital to basically build this thing and get this thing into the market and nobody is willing to provide that because you know i don't have any revenue so i cannot take a debt um i just like the only way for me to finance this is in form of equity or if i get a grant from someone so so if you are that entrepreneur who basically is at the precipice of building this but hasn't quite built this so then i can understand because you know like how will i build this like i don't have the money of my own like and nobody is willing to put it in my company the answer would change if you are a founder who is like well you know i have already built bootstraps this company to like you know like i have like 2 million dollars in annual like recurring revenue um and the reason that i am basically hitting the abort button now is because i'm not able to raise funding to basically scale it like go from like 2 million to 20 and then 200 i think that's like probably is 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 a kind of entrepreneur that again like i i i don't want to basically like you know like assume what's on somebody's mind but that is something that i would probably struggle to explain right like i think it's it's building a company can also oftentimes become like a merit badge contest like how big is your company and like you know like how many people are talking about you what's your twitter follower count and all these things start to happen in the venture world and uh so maybe that's something that drives us but again like if you have been able to bootstrap your company to a place where you can you know you have like a predictable stable like revenue that allows you to basically support yourself uh then at that point of time i think like other avenues of funding should open up to you including that financing from either like you know banks or like the other basically uh credit providers uh and you can also then look at like some other alternate forms of investments including something called revenue based investing where you don't dilute or you don't sell the equity in your company uh but what you do is you agree to basically share a portion of your revenue with your investor till the time they are paid out plus you know the target like return is set uh so in my mind i think it's a very circuitous way of answering your question but if in my mind in the first type of entrepreneur i can understand why they would give up because they just are like don't have the means to bootstrap this but if the bootstrapping process has happened and like the company is well on its way on to earn like a stable revenue at that point of time i think it becomes a personal choice of like maybe they thought that their company would be a 200 million dollar company maybe they want to see themselves on the cover of fortune or forbes uh and it's kind of hard to i think then like rationalize that without actually knowing the individual circumstances of like the the, the entrepreneur involved like what what is driving them what is their motivation uh and again there's no right or wrong answers here it's just that it depends on the person at that time I appreciate you breaking that all down because the particular situation I was referring to was definitely the latter. It was definitely a situation where um, they had bootstrapped to a certain degree. Uh, maybe they had got a little bit of funding, but they were trying to get more. A lot of the a lot of the investors weren't seeing the 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 I guess the the path of them becoming the next unicorn, if you will, and so they kind of just decided to scrap it all together instead of just continuing to build something. that was predictable that was respected um and i think a lot of what you said was true there's a lot of chatter and ego and and kind of like it's kind of turning into like this like mini hollywood type thing where it's like 
you know, uh, kind of like a pissing contest, if you will, of like, who's, who's the best, who's bigger, who's faster, who's this, who's that. Um, and it's just very puzzling to me. Uh, but, but to switch gears for, switch gears for a moment, um, I want to talk about both sides of uh, mental health for a moment. I want to talk about mental issues that you feel are associated with right now with isolation and you're just high level, your first take on that, your hot take on that perspective. And then something that I actually started thinking about recently is, uh, you know, what's your opinion of mental health at the founder level? You know, one thing for me, uh, and this, and then we'll eventually segue into some of the really fun stuff, some of my, my selfish questions I have. Um, one thing for me, though, something that we talk about a lot here at the E1B2 Collective and something that I've talked, out, talked about a lot just in my career you know, for me, I always judge an entrepreneur, not just on how successful they are uh, around branding, marketing, operations, tech, whatever the case is going to be. I also judge them on their leadership capabilities and putting together teams and having those teams produce at a high level for a long period of time while also sustaining their happiness and their mental health and their sanity. And so for me, when I'm looking at a founder, I'm, also, I'm, I'm often kind of judging them in a good way, right? Because I want to help judging them in a good way around where's your mental health right now? Like, where are you as a founder on the anxiety scale, on the frustration scale, on the depression scale, on the happiness scale, on the even keel scale? Like, where are you at right now? Because, you know, a lot of founders don't realize and understand where you are every day showing up to that Zoom call or showing up into the office or showing up to executive meetings or showing up to an employee one-on-one or, you know, whatever, whatever you're showing up to, wherever you are in your face, in your body, in your energy, um, that's going to inevitably make a positive or negative impact on the business, which inevitably can drive down or drive up productivity, which can obviously drive down or drive up revenue that inevitably comes into the organizations. I don't think a lot of founders understand the, uh, the, the, the repercussions and some of the benefits to that. So how do you think about mental health as it pertains to the isolation uh, from a workflow perspective, from a workplace perspective, and then talk to me about kind of what I just said on the ladder there, which was, you know, some of the mental health as it pertains to founders. Yeah, I think I've, <laughs> you know, I think when the when the pandemic started, I think, or like, well, pandemic started, like, it's hard to say when it exactly started, but when we started going into, like, you know, shelter in place and, like, work from home, uh, in D.C., I think we started doing it somewhere in mid of March, I think, if, if, if I'm, like, not wrong about it. Mm-hmm. Same so here. Initially, yeah, so initially, you know, you have us, like, you know, this is, like, so much more time in the morning, and I'm, like, working out in the morning, reading, like, you don't have to commute anymore, um, very hyper productive, right? Like, and I think like I made the mistake of assuming that like this is <laughs> how it's going to be uh, because I think at that point of time, no, at least I made the naive mistake of thinking that this is probably like going to be four or five weeks at most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, surely this, like we have advanced enough to find a way to like deal with this. Well, it turns out not. Um, and uh, I think like after I think like a period of four or five weeks, I think I started like sort of uh, going on the started going on a downswing a little bit. Um, you know, like you're just stuck in your apartment and like um, 
like my family my parents are older back in india so it's kind of like afraid for them a little bit like not like thankfully they've been fine now come the word but you know it's just like this very little you can do from here if like something were to like if they were to contract the virus and so that kind of was on my mind uh, for a bit uh, it still is um, and then i think like slowly got to a place where i think like you know you i think one of the like the downsides of like this whole uh, work from home at least for me has been that uh, i'm somebody who like really thrives on other people's energy so i love going like being with people like colleagues and you know like having like you know very sort of lively like conversations and debates with them and all of that and so that all got taken away and like the like i think what is also troubling is there's no clear like plan of how this will end right mm-hmm. like we have all of our theories when is the vaccine coming out when is it so i think like i have like again um, i don't want to use the word like you know depression lightly because i've never like been clinically like um um what's the word for what's the word i'm looking diagnosed? for diagnosed diagnosed yeah like i was yeah, i suppose i have not not been diagnosed with it but definitely there have been times where these where i've kind of like struggled to um, you know get out of the bed and and like focus on work or like even talk to people for example like and the the weird thing about that state of mind is that like it's kind of like it's it's a whole like experience of like in you know, oxymorons you feel alone but you don't want to talk to anybody you don't you want to basically like you know not be by yourself but you hate like the idea of leaving your basically your your house probably like your bed at some time so it's just you know like what do you do like your mind says you want to do one thing and then there is a sub- other part of your mind or brain uh, heart that is like you know pulling you in a different direction and and to deal with all of that like you know by myself um like you know like whole lot of people anyone i've spoken to i think they've all gone through that same like you know journey of initially they were all very productive and then like slowly you know uh, the reality set in and i think like a lot of people have struggled i'm just one of them um and i think like you know what what i'm describing now which was my experience during covid i feel like um again not to like be like chippy about it but i feel like building a startup can often like feel like that like uh it's a very it can be a very lonely process right you um you don't like you have like you know like early days at least you know before you've like had those mega like you know multi hundred multi million dollar rounds like it's it's you're working on an idea you're passionate about it and then i think like you know whether you're able to raise funding or not is a, like it's it's a very distant thing i think each day uh when you talk about your idea or talk about your product or talk about your company to somebody uh people can be dismissive um you know very lightly and that like i think without realizing like how how hurtful or like how demotivating that can be for a founder right and it's it's one thing often times you know like you know like uh, like i've seen like so many founders who are working on like solutions that really like make a lot of sense but you know you like to talk about what you're working on with people to get their feedback get their reaction and 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 so they kind of go through this process of like rejection dejection um ridicule even at some point of time like almost on a daily basis um and then they come back and you know like their friends and like you know hopefully they have like basically stable like you know supportive friends family partners around them but not everyone has that and like if if it's a very lonely journey i feel like you know i think like what it's like the covid has made me more empathetic to what basically like a early stage founder goes through um 
so what like one of the changes that i'm trying to make in myself is like you know even i'm i'm, I'm a very like direct person in my communication and oftentimes my like feedback can be very brutal but uh, i am like trying to basically be a more like little more sensitive about like you know how i convey like feedback to a founder and not just say that well this doesn't make any sense but sort of like you know asking them like leading questions to basically sort of figure out a way in which like um you know that idea can actually work and if like and it doesn't have to be a venture backable idea by any means it's just like more like i think um the change in my conversation i suppose or my approach to talking to entrepreneurs like what can i do genuinely to basically help them and also like again like if it's an idea you are absolutely convinced will not work from experience and if you think you have like the domain expertise to basically have that opinion uh you'd rather want to basically tell that to the founder before they waste 2 years of their life building something that you know it's not going to work but there's a way to do it and i think like you know like with this one way is like oh well you have no idea what you're talking about and then there's the other way where you work with them and you sort of ask them the question so who is going to be your customer do you think you would pay like so much money for using this service and like you know how long will the problem last that you're trying to solve um so yeah i think that definitely covid has made me more um like i said like empathetic to um you know what like a founder goes through as they're building a company and like those were in the best of times so i can only imagine what uh covid experience would have been like when suddenly all like the fundraising conversations started to fall through and like you know customers are going through and like you kind of are you have a calendar on your like for every startup like early stage startup has like this is figurative but they have like this like figurative calendar on the wall like with like a date like when does the cash run out and i think like when you keep looking at it in the middle of a pandemic it's it's a, it's a really um, it takes a lot um, yeah and then yeah. i think like, i no continue i'm sorry continue <laughs> no 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 that's what like i was just finishing anyways i think i realized at this point i'm rambling but uh just to summarize this, I, i suppose i'm like i have resolved to be um uh, put myself more in the shoes of an entrepreneur when like dealing with them and even if i'm saying no to them which more often than not like i think the reality i would find myself saying no uh but to do it in a way that like it's constructive rather than just being dismissive about it yeah and you know i also think too like back to what i was saying as well like is you know whether it's covid whether it's the complexities of, of building a team whether it's um you know whether it's a lot of self doubt whether it's you know you know putting a lot of pressure on yourself i just need founders to understand that um you know this organization is only as good as you you know what i mean and that's and that's and that's something and 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 let me say this the, an organization is only as good as you to a certain point right because Obviously one thing that I've come to realize is that if you're at scale like a Jeff Bezos with Amazon or if you're at scale like Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook and all these other big brands even not even to that size even a company of 1000 or 1500 people you know the the organization may or may not be uh you know at 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 the at the mercy of the you know of the founder's mental state but I think when you're definitely a five person team a six you know a six person team uh a 75 person team even a 500 person team i think you know how that founder shows up and works with those fellow executives and those fellow managers and the energy that he or she pushes into them and how that energy gets kind of trickled down throughout the organization again whether it's covid that's driving that energy whether it's 
you know, one thing that I like to talk about a lot, and I don't know if you have any experience with this or any thoughts around this, but, you know, uh, I have not met too many personally developed founders where they have the ability to remove ego from their nature, to remove, uh, to, to fight self-doubt, to remove, um, to remove other complexities around always having to be right we're always having to to fight different things, inevitably not leaning into their employees. I just I I found very odd odd personality and behavior traits about leaders that, if I'm being very objective, I would not like. Like I guess what I'm saying is I've met so many founders that I would not hire to be a CEO, and I think that's interesting. I think that truth and that reality is incredibly interesting and. Before we move on, I will. I really would love to get your point of view on how you guys, as investors, really vet that. Because from an outside looking in, I have to be very honest. I think if that's something that I think venture capital and venture capitalists could work a little bit more on, is that component. Now, how you quantify and measure that and understand that at a at a at a at a quick moment, because I know you guys do your due diligence, but I'm sure there's not too much due diligence you can do around everything I just said without actually getting in the company, shadowing them, seeing how they work. And I know you guys are so busy and have so many other deals going on that that's just not practical. So I don't know, just wanted to get your thoughts on before you write that 500K check, that 250 check, that 300 check, what does it look like? How do you guys think about leaders that have you know, insecurities within themselves, whether it's insecurities from family, friends, parents, whatever the case was, and now they're leaders, thus they're pushing those insecurities on their managers or they're pushing those insecurities on their co-founders or pushing those insecurities on lower lower level employees where those insecurities are showing up as micromanaging and it's showing up as, uh, you know, driving a, a lack of productivity, which inevitably can hurt the bottom line. So, how do you guys think about that? Do you guys think about that? Uh, and then we'll move on a little bit to something else. Yeah, I think Anthony, that's a great question. And I and I say that's it's hard bit, to quantify. It's very hard to quantify. And actually, and the reality is at the early stage, um, again, like, you know, I like by no means like um, even pretend to speak on behalf of everyone, but again, like, like most people that I know um, who invest in the early stage, um, there is very little to go off on other than like your read of the founder, right? So there's a word like you would have heard like product market fit, um, mm-hmm. which gets thrown around a lot. I think it's also like a founder market fit, which is very important. Um, you know, like for us, it's like, is this, a, is this, and I, this is a lot of like knowledge I'm taking with me from Village Capital. So this is not my own, like, you know, proprietary, like, so this is all like what Village Capital has been doing, which I'm taking into Amplio now is, um, you know, you have to like find the team that like, you have to ask yourself, like, why is this team or why is this like this founder, like the right person to basically solve this problem? And oftentimes that comes down to, whether they have any lived experience of that problem or like have they grappled with it before or whether this is just something that they were like, oh, like I know how to build an app. Let me build an app for that, right? And I think like um, that like personal lived experience is very important for them to have a shot at basically making this work in, in, in our opinion, at least that like, you know, why are they passionate about this? Will they stick through this? Why like will they do that? 
and then that goes into the other aspects of us like you know are there somebody who like is tenacious who will basically be able to like you know like has has is this founder somebody who has basically like had like a punch you know like been punched in the face and yet like was able to get up and like move forward and again how do you quantify it you just basically like get to know them as people like get to know their life story and and then sort of like ask them about these things um and then i think like this is again something which is like you know you 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 know it when you see it but it's kind of hard to describe like um and 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 pardon my french on this but i think like you know just like you know you know an asshole when you see one i guess um and and then so um i feel like that's something that we try we absolutely filter for because i think it comes out in the way they talk to you it comes out in the way they talk about their competition it comes out in the way they talk about their customers you know anytime i hear about like Uh, oh yeah, like a founder come to me and say, oh yeah, I was in this meeting with like other like this other investor, and they were absolutely like idiotic, like and they could didn't understand what I was telling. I think that to me is a sign that this person is probably like so like you know in their own head that they are like not even open to the idea that like they what they are trying to sell might not be something that the other person was looking to buy, and that to us is like a big problem. Um, so I again like we we. again like you said like there's not enough time to basically and especially with covid like to you know shadow them and see like how they behave with their teams so we like to talk to the entire like founding team or at least like you know like um, you know at the stage that we invest like hardly like four or five like the team is like that size so we try to talk to everyone try to get a feel for like how do they like working with each other do they like you know do like what's the chemistry like there um then sometimes you know like often times it's it comes down to how you feel about an entrepreneur right like when you talk to them are you are you only talking about like when are you going to make that check when are you going to basically how much money are you giving me or like do you find yourself talking about the product a lot so there is this um i don't have, i don't think i have the liberty to disclose the name right now but there is this uh, one company in our deal flow pipeline that we are looking to hope you know hoping to like sort of like invest in and the 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 beautiful thing about that founder is that he and i like when we talk on like zoom calls we end up talking so much about the product and like what we can do with the product and i think that to me is a sign that already right, like we are backing a founder who is like literally doing it because they really believe in what they're building and they're not doing it to basically like i said like either like walk away with like you know billion become a billionaire or like we seen on like a folks magazine they are doing this because they are in it for like basically what they are building and i think that is again like there's no checklist you can follow but i think you start to get a sense of like you know based on the conversation and what you guys talking about uh and the yeah. other thing that i also do is i often ask like founders like very casually um, and this is something i picked up from i don't know if you know him um, this guy called jason calcanis he is an angel investor yeah, So yeah. he I think has a question of like you know he asks every founder that like you know what are the other things you're working on and if like you know the founders respond by saying that well I'm also doing this and I'm there's this this project and then there's this this project you generally you probably know that like the odds are that they are not like as focused on on the venture that they are like pitching to you as they mm-hmm. to be and that's also like a red flag in in my opinion I agree with him on that very interesting so one thing I was going to jump in and say You know, you said there is no checklist. One thing that I would argue to try to put on a checklist. So at some point, um, I want to get into investing, but obviously there has to be a certain amount of like current, you know, personal capital and all these other kind of guidelines. I, there are other things that I could do now. There's a lot of creative ways to kind of get involved with deal flow and things of that nature. But uh, I do want to personally one day start writing fifty, twenty-five, seventy-five thousand dollar checks to founders and. 
one question that I've always thought about and something that I've always pondered is, um, and I don't know how I would form it, but here's the nuance of the question. Um, how do they think about formation of teams, right? Um, and what I mean by that, let me dive deeper. You know, are they ready and willing and able and excited about hiring people that are vastly light years beyond their capabilities and competence? And are they willing and excited about being either the, whatever decision maker it's going to be, being someone that leans heavily on their team? I don't know how we would form formalize, like maybe if me and you were just like rifting for a moment, I don't know what the form, I don't know how that question will get formalized and like how that could be on the checklist. But I'm curious to know if that's something that comes into your mind, because something that someone gave me this compliment the other day, and I was very appreciative of it, but the little, the little tiny ego side of me already kind of knew that was a strength of mine, but I appreciated it is with this new venture that I'm doing, where there's many moving parts to it. I have purposely stripped. I had, there's, I would, I would, I would say there's zero and I try not to ever say zero. There's zero levels of ego inside of my body with every single function of this organization. And the biggest part uh, where there's zero ego is around the way this needs to get created. I have a vision. I'm strong to that vision. I have a point of view. I stick to that point of view. But how we get to the point of view, how we get to the end road, uh, I have no ego involved. And I am leaning heavily on people that are so much smarter than me, can add to that vision, can shift and mold and throw away ideas to that vision, put it on the side of the road, kick it, spit on it. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do to it. I just know at the end of the road what this should look like, and I will fight to see that end of the road get accomplished. But how we get there, the roads that we travel, the cars that we drive, the tires that we put on there. I have no ego around it. I know you guys are smarter than me. I want you guys to be smarter than me. I want to be the dumbest person in the room. Is that something that you guys look for? Um, I've been told that's a good idea. I think inherently for me, I know it's a good idea because if it's going to get to the point where you guys will make some sort of return, it's going to need to be much more than one guy or gal and a founding team of four. It's going to need to be hundreds of people that I'm hoping will be smarter in certain individual domains than that in that initial founding team. How do you think about that? No, I think like one of the questions I like to like to I ask. I got excited there for a moment. No, no, no. You like as as humans actually, and I, and then again, like I wish you the best of luck in as you foray into your angel investing, um, you know, like career. I don't know if it's called a career, but like just your journey into angel investing. Um, one of the questions that we like we like to ask uh, of every founder that we speak to is uh, what's the current like you know what's missing on your team right now and like you know and what's the plan to like fill that like missing and if like a founder says oh by the way I've got everything covered I think that's a red flag so it's a it's like you know you were saying like you know what's a, what's how do you ask this question like I think like in one that has worked for us is asking that question because you know if, if a founder says that like well you know, and it could depend on like, you know, the answer is based on like my, where we are right now. Like we are basically, let's say like pre-revenue. And so we basically very focused on getting the product out into beta customers, collecting feedback. And then based on that, like trying to convert the beta customers into actually like 
actual customers and like this could be like again this is mostly like in b2b but like could also be in b2c we do like based on like our thesis we are confined to b2b mostly um but you know but if they say that yes so we are like very focused on getting like beta customers and this is what we need on the team right now and there is me who does this and then there is this team member and then there is this team member who do everything and then going forward uh, as we grow and scale this is like basically a gap that we see we will try to fill them by bringing somebody in so that's one definitely i feel like you know um way of asking that like you know um which which kind of can reveal a little bit about like how like the founding team like assess their own skills and like uh, is there hubris i think you can you can start to see hubris come out in there like you know if you if you um, at least you know like the few that i have spoken to again shall not be named uh, <laughs> this question did bring out the hubris and so it was kind of like a good like red flag for us to sort of like walk away from it but other than that i feel like um like i said again you know if if it's it's something anthony when you're talking to somebody you know let's say you're talking to to a founder and and you sort of offer feedback i think you'll start picking up like verbal like visual clues like or verbal clues of like how they're responding to that like are they kind of like shushing you down a little bit be like all right tell me do you have money to give me or not because if not then i'm really not interested in listening to what you have to say uh i think that also is like a good sort of like filter process right like i think and, and it's something again like you will start to pick up on as you're like meeting people like on zoom or like hopefully like in person but if not like on a video call in zoom uh to pick up those body clues like how best interested are they in this conversation are they kind of like you know let me figure out very quickly whether this person is going to give me money or not and then move on from there um but i feel like humility in a founder is very it's it's a tricky one right you need the the founder to be like overconfident you need them to be like you know this like you no know, i will like literally like take on this like david versus goliath battle and i will like basically smash the goliath down uh but at the same time you need them to also be like not take themselves too seriously and they put like you know the company and the solution the product in front of their own interests and that means is this somebody who would be willing to step away from the ceo role like maybe like you know brilliant technical founder like you know like can this the best engineer that could basically build this product but not necessarily the best leader um and do you think like you know and like maybe asking them like what are your thoughts on you know if like are you ready for that like building the organization because then at that time you're like building culture you're basically hiring people you're like you know setting like the norms of the of the organization uh and if like you know somebody were to give you a feedback that like you know you're not doing a great job at that you're like build a brilliant product but you should step aside what your reaction would be and i think if somebody is like uh i have also had like founders tell me that like no there's no way like this is my company nobody like is going to tell me to step aside from it or step away from it um and i think that's I again think that's a huge red flag it's a huge red flag it's like you cannot work with that person because then you're like all right like you know you're not investing in a company you're investing in a megalomaniac then at that point which can never i think <laughs> turn out good in the long run so i want to do a rapid fire we got about 10 minutes here so i want to do rapid fire so i have about three or four questions that i just want to give maybe both of us too because i always have context as well both of us kind of give one or two high level quick points of views and if we need to double down we will is that is that fun for you can we do that yeah absolutely all right so first question um one thing about me i'm very very naive i only know my own part of the world and things that i work on that that 
could like I know a little I know I know enough to be dangerous and then I know a lot about sports and like girls and that's a whole another conversation. I don't know much about life, which is maybe good, maybe bad. I'm probably embarrassing myself. So it doesn't matter. So uh the gist of why I broke that whole weird thing down, uh it, it brings uh it brings up this question. Um I don't know a lot, so here's the question. When when I think about investing, is there a model out there? And this is this is rapid fire, so be sharp if you have the answer. Is there a model out there where you can create a fund for a founder? Meaning I will always invest whatever I have a million dollars for you. Whatever you want to invest in. If you need 100K to get this idea off the ground, if you need 300K to get this idea off the ground, if you need 60K to get this idea off the ground, I love you so much. I love your, I love your, I love your perspective around product. I love your perspective around leadership. You've done the, you've done this a few times in your career already. So I trust you. I got a million bucks here. I got, I got 500K for you right here. Um, Dabble in it, take it all in one idea. Dice it up into five ideas. Do whatever you want to do. Is there any model like that? Not in my mind. I I wouldn't. I would. Is that crazy? Uh, I won't say if it's crazy. I think the reason I will not do it is is because one, like I haven't had like the kind of investment success that would probably <laughs> give you the courage to do that. But you know, we just like and but the other one is I think like I I really believe very strongly. I think in in the founder market fit. And so again, like, you know, yes, like just because somebody, let's say like Mark Zuckerberg, right, like, well, like obviously like uh, this billion dollar, like, well, multi-billion dollar company at this point or Bezos. Um, and again, like that does give you confidence in them, but I, I still feel that like uh, knowing myself, I need to know what they are going to build next rather than just be like, all right, you are Jeff Bezos, so therefore you can, you know. <laughs> all right. So I'm crazy. All right. Second rapid, rapid fire. Um, uh, we didn't touch on it a bunch. I'll bring you back for a part two, but let's touch on it now. Rapid fire. Keep it tight if you can. Um, future of work from an inclusive perspective. What are you seeing right now in the tech space, whether it's something you guys are looking at right now and vetting something you've already invested in? What's something interesting right now? Rapid fire, if you can, that is interesting to you, uh, that has, uh, that is bringing, value to the workplace to create more inclusive uh, cultures and organizations. Uh, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you investing in? What are, what are you, what are you liking right now? Well, one area I'm ex- like excited about is um, um, wellness and like focus on wellness and like engagement and trust in the, in, in the workplace. So that I would probably say that. Um, I'm trying to be a bit here. <laughs> no, no, no. Give, give me, a, give me a bit more. Uh, so, wellness engagement uh what do you like about those things i think like for like this goes back to the mental mental health issue i think like you know inclusiveness takes various forms and 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 again like you know trust is also like a big uh factor when you're working with multicultural multilingual team same sentence in english like in one context can mean like give like a very different vibe than like in, in 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 a different usage uh and i think like that also in my experience kind of prevents um, you know, in a in a it prevents like basically people who are not from the US I suppose like to sort of succeed in like, you know, like in teams that are like comprising of like, you know, mostly American like that's just one very small example that I am I'm, I'm I'm like relating to. 
but mm-hmm. i feel like uh, engagement and trust uh, and wellness i think uh, very important like inclusive for inclusion at workplaces so that each one like can bring their whole self their uniqueness celebrate that and then yet like thrive and succeed at basically the job so that they don't have to basically like fall into one like pattern for for them to succeed and progress in their in their in their workplace so that makes perfect. sense perfect no it makes a ton of sense uh third rapid fire question so being as though you guys focus on early um early stage um organizations and uh i guess this is a two part question the first part is um how how many touch points along the way after you write the 500k 250k 300k check how many touch points how much support how engaged are you along the process of them being a a founding team of five to uh growing to hopefully which in your eyes would probably be they're looking at 150 200 300 employees Uh, you know how many touch points how much value you bringing along the way and then here's the most selfish question i have um I believe if you don't remember, I can give you a bit of context, uh, a little bit about, you know, my business model and what we're doing and the value that we're bringing into the workplace. You know, uh, we are trying to help startup organizations inevitably um, unpack and understand how to build out people operations, how to look, look at and think about culture, how to embed that at a very operational level. Um, and there are things that we like to do for a founding team. There are things that we can do for 30 or 40 people. And there are like fractional CFO type things. Think of it from that lens where we'll jump into a company for 12 months, white glove, you know, build out processes, tech tools, you know, change behaviors, the, the whole nine of building out that culture internally, the employee experience, the operational aspects, uh, because in our mind, we don't want an HR person of one to try to tackle these things. When you're a startup of 150 people, we want to bring in a unit. Um, so the first question, I, th- I hope you remember, the second question is this. What would it look like? What does it look like for an organization like, like the one that I'm running right now to build out a relationship with venture capital? Does that look like you know, creating content that you guys can deliver that's kind of like on demand does that look like uh uh you know a free mentorship model where we're here kind of like a bat phone ad hoc moment where we can provide support to those founding team members around building out their first team of 10 15 20 people does it like what does that look like operationally from a true partnership level to support those startups as they grow and again back to the very first question that's connected now if you're hoping to get the gist of it, how engaged are you with those startups along the way? After you give them that $350,000 check, how many times are you talking to them a year? What are those conversations? What support are you bringing? That's a great question. Um, and for us, like, and again, like this is us, uh, just like Amplio, um, we, because we have like, you know, our investments are basically targeted towards like creating like a positive, like, outcome which is larger than just financial return uh, we would need to be for every investment that we make like we would look to either lead or co-lead the round that that means that we get to like be on the board or like at like in the companies where we don't lead or co-lead uh, we would absolutely need to have like a board observer seat because we absolutely again you know for us like amplio like the thesis doesn't work 
unless we are very actively involved in the companies we invest in so for us it cannot mm-hmm. be that we just basically write a check and then off you go and we'll talk like once a year uh and and there are several reasons for that but i won't go into that i'll like come to the question uh, that you asked uh typically you know investors play like bring like value in several different ways i think like capital is obviously one of them but i think like the other two are like hiring like top talent is something that uh, is a big value driver from like a venture capital point of view um second is like you know setting up network for uh, follow on investing so like you know you like you like as a vc you basically reach out to other vcs and say that hey like because you know like and you cash in on your credibility and say that we have invested um and like this company would be raising its like follow on round like let's say like in 18 months or 20 months I would love for you to get to know the founders so like doing those kinds of things for them in our case i think like it's it's uh, uh, one more sort of like what we want to do is like kind of like be available to the founders in any way they want like our expertise uh, in basically like come like well the genesis of amplio ventures is in amplio recruiting so again like our networks are deep into basically uh, you know like the employment and like basically uh, workplace solution hr tech like markets so hopefully you know leveraging those networks to help our founders find new customers close customers expand their businesses go into new markets so that's something that we are like you know excited and hopeful to do but then again What? like sorry are you saying something Yeah, I was going to say uh and, and that's everything you're saying is amazing. I was also asking if you remember the context. I was also asking, you know, what would it look like? What would it look like for a company like like mine? I remember I gave the kind of the context mm-hmm. and background. What what would it look like to, you know, what does it look like for an organization like the one I'm running now to work with venture to support those startups that you guys are investing in? What do those touch points also look like? What is that, you know, does that look like two times a year, you know, you're getting your startups all together and we do like a fireside chat and answer questions. Does it look like, you know, you guys making introductions to us and we can actually have an opportunity to kind of talk about what we can do for those startups? Does it look like maybe creating some video? Like what does that look like to support the startups that you guys invested in in a very organic, respectable, but also driving value and and respecting us for what we can bring to the table way what is what does that also look like from your lens you know i think like coming back to like you know uh, what like services you produce and like you know what the what does that association look like i feel like you know culture and like building organization is kind of one of the biggest challenges now that has come out like there is like you know um, and that's something definitely like us as investors are really focused on um you know you don't like build a culture i think a company is a culture right like there's a difference people talk about oh like how do we build like a positive culture at workplace i think it's it's you don't like build it it's, it's basically your company and like the company itself is a culture and so i feel like uh, again like you know i think like an association with some like venture capital funds for uh, for companies such as yourself would be i think more like i would say it's not like a episodical like you know once a year or twice a year touch point i think it's more of like what would be really beneficial is like how do you plug into um the portfolio let's say like amplios like 15 or so companies like how do you plug into like each one of them and kind of be like an ongoing resource like you your company anthony becomes like an ongoing resource to the founders as they sort of like you know grow and scale so like they are like looking to let's say again like a like a real example um you know some company and one of the things that they need to do as quickly as soon as they receive investment is like hire let's say a chief marketing officer right 
now how do you ensure that you're finding the right like chief like person for the role like will, will it be a culture fit and then like as the company mm-hmm. grows and scales from there on like you know how do you make sure like as the ceo and then as basically the investor who is on the board that the initial like set of values for which you invested in the company those values are not being basically like sacrificed in pursuit of like those rapid like growth and scale or like you know trying to get like other investors so therefore i feel like you know in 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 your case i feel like the involvement or the association i think would i'm generally not a like i'm generally not a big fan of like episodical intervention uh, i feel like you know this is something that's more like ongoing this is more on conversation which is more like i think like a retainer relationship rather than you know flying in as consultants and doing two sessions uh, i i have seen like very little success in those kinds of models i feel like i have seen success from my own personal experience uh, where there is more like uh, you know plugged in like well like small i think like you know culture gets built by small like decisions right and i think like we often end up waiting for like big moments to basically have these like large interventions of like oh like we should do this for like having a more transparent culture yeah so i i feel like culture gets built in those small like day to day decisions and i think if you don't sort of like you know track those i think like it gets too late because then you're doing damage control rather than actually like building something which is healthy and and, and uh, transparent and inclusive but that's just my opinion like again like i said like i am very um mindful of that like my sample might be very like small um, no i hear you and and that was one of the greatest re- you know honestly one of the biggest reasons why i was so excited to bring you on today and and get to know you a bit and and hopefully work with you in the future because you do have that that mindset that i very much agree with um last rapid fire question and this has been amazing i will definitely bring you back for a part 2 Um I know we uh, I know I'll let you know that you know I I would love to kind of show you a little bit more personally of what I'm working on and what we're doing and you know as you move on to your to the next venture hopefully we can um foster uh, an ongoing relationship. Um last rapid fire question is there anything you want to ask me? Is there anything around um something I've been playing with recently which has actually been working out really well is when i've have calls with angel investors and venture capitalists and startup advisors and a lot of people that have been playing in the space but not directly focusing on talent management or culture or employee experience or hr or people operations um you know is there anything you want to ask me uh or maybe through me to some of my partners that i can pass on to either your brain or your your founders brains or is there anything interesting top of mind that you would love to to think about and learn and anything you want to ask me that I can help with yeah i mean i'm very curious right like as you are the pro in in basically helping companies build like culture right and i've always struggled to define coherently what a good culture looks like mm-hmm. uh, and i'll i'll give you a framework to basically like you know like sort of like a concrete like example like so let's say you basically partner with uh, with a startup and like a, like ceo is like all right like anthony like we need help to basically make sure that like our culture is built in the way that like you know it rep- represents the values that we have and our values are not just something that we basically painted on the wall uh what would you anthony uh, need to see um and then whatever time period for you to basically say that all right looking back that was like a successful engagement for us 
break that down a bit more. So what would I need to see from, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't really get that last part. I was like, let's say your engagement with this company comes to an end uh-huh. after one year, right? Then looking back, um, you know, what would you need to see by way of like results, outcomes, or whatever that might be. I, I hear you. So to say that, yes, yes, like our association with this company to help them basically build a culture that like is truly inclusive and representative of their values that we were able to do that. How would you know that that culture was built? That's a beautiful question. That's something me and my uh, partners are working on right now. So there's a couple of ways, right? So um, there's very traditional ways like, um, like analytics and tracking metrics, whether that's, you know, retention numbers, whether that's attrition numbers, whether that's, you know, engagement surveys, things that are very kind of top of the funnel. Like we all heard about these things. We know these things. So there are things that we'll put in place to track that. But to get more into the, the nuts and bolts in the context of your question, for me, if it's my company right now or just me as an individual, which I've been as a VP of people inside of a company, walking away, I want to kind of, the way I would know if, if, if implementing a culture from, again, let's say you decided to start now uh, in mid-October and then at you know next year, 2021, uh, mid-October, you were to step back. A few things that we like to look at is number one, I want to have actual contextual-based conversation with employees i don't just want to see a survey i don't just want to see a box checked i want to know i want to hear from them i want to look into their eyes i want to feel the energy i want to get examples you know i want to know what were some of the conversations you were having with your family members with your friends about the organization i want to know you know what career mapping processes were put in place to help you steer the boat of your career either with this company or maybe even not with this company. And what were the reactions when you explained to your CEO that you had other aspirations outside the company, but there were things you wanted to learn inside of this company until you got to that next phase? Were there processes put in place? Were there policies put in place? What were the reactions? Were there learning and development tools put in place? Were there mentorship moments that were strategic, that were planned out, that were mapped? You know, what did it look like to bring up new ideas, you know, like truly like, you know, were your managers kind of pushing you down and, and, and not living into those ideas? Did they put together processes and systems to embed and, and kind of accept ideas and then did nothing with them? How did that make you feel? Did you ever bring up to the CEO about those ideas and what were their reactions? Did they kind of just jokingly laugh it off and play it off and move on? Were they very empathetic to that and and actually lived in and had a thoughtful one-on-one? How many times did you have a one-on-one? So if you kind of can get the gist, you know, for me, walking away a year later, I always, 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 always audit the employee because they're never going to lie. And what I mean by lie is I actually mean that. Like founders, I love you guys. Managers, I love you guys. But you know, it is your job. It is in your best interest to finesse, to massage the realities of what's happening for your culture and for your organization. But for the employees, there's a certain level of complexity and selfishness that they bring to the table that I actually appreciate, right? Because this may be the first stop along five stops in their career. And so inevitably, they're looking to get something out of the scenario that is very dear and near to their heart. So they're probably going to explain and tell the truth. And so for me with my company right now, or me as an internal VP of people, or for a tip that I would give to a founder or VP of people inside of a company, a startup, 
Like those conversations, those questions, those objective deliverables of career mapping processes, tools to support that, you know, inclusive best practices and policies that reflect inclusive nature. I want to see those things tangibly. And I want to hear from the points of views of those employees. Um, I don't know if that was a great answer. No, that was a great answer because, you know, I think like I've seen enough, like, um, just in case, you know, like I've seen like, you know, um, and again, like this is not pointed at any like specific, like either service service provider or like organization, but, you know, there is a tendency of like, you know, bringing in like consultants and then like, you know, they make a deck and then they basically like share the deck. These are our findings. And then the company says, well, we did our bet. We brought in the experts and the consultants is like, well, we came in, we were basically given like four weeks to do this, like, you know, and what else could we have done? And that's why I don't like that, like intervention, like no. session based, like, you know, project based <laughs> episodical, like, uh, but you like what you said, I think I 100% agree with it. So it's a good tip also for us is that, you know, talking to the employees, like, do they feel a little more like it? And again, like, you know, do they feel like they're like they're more part of the organization? Do they feel that they are kind of like, you know, treated better, treated well? Do they, do they, are they happier at work? I think we, one of the questions that I have never actually been like seen anybody ask is like, are you happy at work? Right? Like everyone is like, are you productive? Like, are you, does your manager listen to you? And like all these things. But I think at the end of the day, like, you know, like, are, are you happy? Like, it's a very simple question and can be very like difficult to answer, I think. And uh, for us, like, you know, investing is that like, we, we want to invest in solutions that when we go back to like you know, refugees and other displaced migrants and ask them like, hey, when did you, were you able to find a job? And like, but not just that, but also be like, are you happy at your job? Uh, and that I think is very important. And that's not something you can basically like, you know, get a metrics of like how many like survey respondents said that they were happy. It's just more of like, you know, when you talk to people, you get a feel for it. And uh, so I hear you. I absolutely hear you when you say that, like, you know, like it's, 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 it's a conversational thing. And the contextual nature of that answer is the magic, right? And then we'll wrap it up here. The contextual nature of the, because it, you know, it says, okay, were you happy? Uh, no. Okay. Well, why weren't you happy? Well, uh, there were four different moments throughout the year that I brought up new ideas around product innovation and my manager, uh, ignored those. The, I never got a response from my email. Every time I try to ping him or her, uh, around, uh, my idea, they ignored it. Oh, great. How did that make you feel? Uh, X, Y, and Z. What would you have liked to see differently? They may give an answer. And then for me, after auditing the employee, I'm like, okay, well, we need to look at your decision-making frameworks and processes. We need to look at how you're accepting inbound from an innovation perspective. Are you even looking for feedback around innovation? Do you even have employee feedback moments and systems and structures in place? Uh, The behavior of you as a leader, like, do you even want to hear from them? Are you kind of just checking the BS box? Like, oh, hey, how do you guys think? Do you have any processes and structures internally with your executives to sit down and deliberate, unpack the data of all the ideas or all the perspectives of your team and put those things in place? Um, So it's very much what you just said, which is appreciating the audit of our employees happy. And then what we do and what every company listening to this should do, it's very much operationally going in and changing the way the company's actually working and injecting things. So, to your point, and what I'm hoping I give you a vote of confidence to maybe continue working with me and talking to me, it's it's very much more than coming in for a day or two, doing a BS survey, you know, doing a deck, 
talking about things at a high level across a a 60 minute PowerPoint and then checking a box. It's conducting the audit of the employee and then getting to work and changing things in the company. That's wonderful. Thank you, Anthony, for sharing that. And um, likewise, likewise, I look forward to, you know, having more of these conversations because, you know, they do lead to good answers sometimes. (laughs) Well, I appreciate this so much. I'm going to let you get back to your day. Uh, this was a great episode, and, and hopefully once I edit it, you'll share it, and um, I will uh, I'll let you know when that's ready. Sounds-